Have you ever found yourself in a sketchy neighborhood and you just didn't feel real safe? Uh, we were down in New Orleans several years ago, and we were on Royal Street. And there was a dude up there, like a second, about first or second terrace up overlooking Royal Street. And my wife and I and the couple we were with, we noticed that there was like a red laser hitting all of us, you know, simultaneously. And we looked around the street, and there was hundreds of people walking. And there was just a red laser dot coming from somewhere that we didn't see. And when we got closer into the middle of Beale, uh, not Beale Street, uh, Royal Street, we looked up. And there was this dude, and it was a, it was a chrome-polished it was a big gun. I'm thinking maybe the 45 mag or something like that. But on the top of that gun, there was a laser. Now, I don't know if it was a lighter or if it was a firearm. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, I mean, it scared me. Uh, it was a sketchy place. Another sketchy place we went to is Bethlehem. Every time we've went there, man, it's been sketchy. Uh, it's on the West Bank there in Israel. And, man, that's one of those places where you kind of just keep your head on a swivel and your hand on your wallet. You know, they're trying to sell you chickens, chickens, not fried chickens, whole chickens, live chickens while you're getting on the tour bus. Like there's a chicken rack up in there, okay? Uh, but, it, I mean, it was a tough place. Anybody ever been in bad neighborhoods like that? Anybody want to share something? Yeah, Jama? You want to share the neighborhood? Save us some problems here. Several in St. Louis, okay. Somebody else? East St. Louis. Yeah, and that's the people, yeah. <laughs> East St. Louis. Chicago? Anybody else? Uh, what about anybody serving the military, been in some bad neighborhoods? Ocean Slime, California. Shreveport. Shreveport? It's a rough neighborhood? Okay, somebody else? Korea, okay. One more. Okay, I would say that these are places that maybe we need to avoid. Uh, and the story that we read this morning already from Luke chapter 10, that was in one of those spots. It was in a spot that was sketch. Uh, on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, that was the main thoroughfare. It was the main uh, walkway. And it was, it was sketch. There were always bandits and robbers out there that were just looking for uh, the, the lone straggler to attack and take all their money and to leave them for dead. And that was that story. That's where it took place in a place like uh, a place where you felt kind of sketched out. And I don't know why the Romans who had occupied Israel at that time, I don't know why they didn't take care of it or put more more guards along that road. I don't know why the Jews didn't take better care of it. Uh, you know, that, that would have been a way to protect the people as they were going to and from Jerusalem. But, but I th it's probably a lot easier to keep a religious system in place than to clean up a neighborhood. It's easy to be religious. Uh, and it's, it's really easy to have that. But it's a whole lot harder to make a difference in your community where you live. Um, and that's what they needed to do. And when Jesus is using this background as a story, I want to remind you of what uh, the king said. Not, not, not Jesus, although he is the king. But Elvis, the king, said, A little less conversation. A little more action, please. And that's kind of what Jesus was saying. He was saying, okay, you know these things, but the problem is that you have to do these things. You have to, to let them loose in your life. As each person in the story passed by this, this guy that's laying, dead, laying half dead alongside the road, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, everybody had a choice to make on what they did with that guy. Uh, 
you know, they probably said, I can either stop and help him, but maybe somebody else will help him. Maybe I'm just going to help. I'm going to hope somebody else comes by. Maybe they thought, man, this is a dangerous road. If I stop and help this guy, then I could be the next one laying on the side of the road. And maybe another person said, well, you know, I've been working all week down in Jerusalem, down at the temple. I just want to get home to supper. Remind me of, of, of a line of an old song. I got supper waiting at home and I got to get to it, you know. Uh, so everybody had an excuse. Everybody had a choice to make when they came there. The story of the Good Samaritan, we might call him Sammy from time to time, but Sammy's story was spoken by Jesus at a very pivotal time in the life of Jesus. He's on his way, Cooner, to Jerusalem. He's making his last trip to the city. He's he's days within the cross. He's days within the trials. He's days within being rejected by the people. He's days away from being betrayed by Jesus and the other disciples. He's just days away. And this is one of those last stories he tells. And this is one of those last little things that he tells his people. Uh, Knowing that that's the context of where this story is headed, I I want you to know something that the cross did something for our sins that I I want you to get a hold of. The crucifixion reminds us that Jesus didn't just magically make our sins disappear. He didn't just magically take them off the books and say, oh, I forgive you, uh, and then that was the end of it. Uh, the, charges of, the charges we had against us were never dropped. The charges we have against us, our sin charges, they have not been pleaded down to a plea deal. Our charge against us has not been pleaded down for a, a less severe charge. What we have done with our sin is, is we've offended God, we've went away from God, and we've been, given a, we've been given a sentence because we've broken the law of God for all of sin. It's not just me, but every single person. Romans 6.23 says because we've, we've broken that law, there's a punishment or there's a wage that comes with it. There's, a, there's a, a consequence associated with it. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So our crime is sin. That's what we've done. That's what we're guilty of. What is sin? Anytime you've done anything that is contrary to God's boundaries or rules or principles in our, our life. If you've ever done anything other than love an enemy, well, you've messed up. Have you ever lied? Have you ever gossiped? Not taken, taken something that wasn't yours? Lust, anger, pride, you name it. We've all done it. Maybe come in all different sizes and varieties and things like that, but we've all sinned. And because we're all guilty, there is a guilty verdict. The verdict's been passed down. We've all sinned. Nobody can say, I'm not a sinner. Man, we are all in the same boat. And the determinate or the determinate sentence is death. Church, say death. There, are, uh, there is a determinate sentence in, uh, in, in law, and there is an indeterminate sentence in law. A determinate sentence means this. Um, uh, a determinate sentence means that you're going to serve six months in the jail. Uh, that's what the judge says. You might get a little time off for good credit or time ser- uh, good behavior or time served. But he says you're going to be in there six months. There won't be a parole board or an agency that can change that. This is what it is. This is the determinate sentence. Six months in jail. There's also what's called an indeterminate sentence. That's when the judge might look down at a, at a convicted murderer and say, okay, you're going to serve 20 years to life. Well, there's a wide range in there. There was a wide spectrum, a, a wide berth of what can happen. And you're going to serve the, you're going to serve the time. It, it, it might vary. Church, our sin verdict has a guilty sentence with it that is determinate. It's death. 
It is a capital offense. That is what our sin earned us. Romans 3, 21, verse 26. And by the way, our sin is just because we broke the law of God. Uh, the law of God doesn't save us, but the law of God tells us why we need to be saved. Why do we need to save? Because we're sinners. This is what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him, to be restored with him, uh, without keeping the requirements of the law. And by the way, there's 613 laws. I don't know about you. I have a hard enough time with the Ten Commandments, let alone all 613 of the laws in the Torah. But thank God, we're not made right by doing those laws. Made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. That's what we broke. That was what we're guilty of. That's our sin. That's where the determinate sentence of death comes in. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, the Lord said, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a Redeemer. I'm going to, make somebody, I'm going to have somebody come and make all this mess right. We are made right with God by placing our faith in the law? No. By placing our faith in the church? No. By placing our faith in a baptism? No. By placing our faith in the Lord's Supper? No. But by placing our faith in... Yeah, not a law, not by doing the right things, but by surrendering to the right person. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, whether you live in Knollwood or a trap house. This is how everybody gets saved. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. Not by the law. He did this through the crucified Jesus when He freed us from the wad of our sin penalty what was the penalty it was a death penalty it's not 20 years to life it's forever separated from God it's forever being in a devil's hell it's forever being in a lonely spot out of the fellowship of Yahweh that's what the sentence calls for that is the determinate sentence uh, but he has freed us from the penalty of our sins for, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shed his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and didn't punish those who had sinned in times past before the cross. For he was looking ahead and he was including them in what, would, uh, in, in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and he's just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe the law, no. Believe the church, no. Believe Jesus. Oh man, it's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. You see, church, God is holy. God is just. And when our sins were taken care of, He just didn't wave a wand and say, away with you. Jesus paid our penalty. He served the determinate sentence of death. Cooner, he took your sentence. Angie, he took your sentence. He took my sentence. Tim, he took your sentence. Tabby took yours. He did our time for us, although it was our crime. And the righteousness we have is because we realize that Jesus did that for us, and we're made righteous through Him. Now, God is holy and fair and just, but He has to punish sin. It's what the law tells us. Uh, Jesus took our punishment. Now, when Jesus was talking to the priest in the story that we read in Luke chapter 10, by the way, this, this is a story that could have happened typically when Jesus gives a parable, which is a story that just teaches a bigger truth. It basically says, and he told them a parable, or he told them a story. None of that's in that text. So, man, this could have happened. 
this could be one of those things that everybody kind of knew about in the neighborhood. Uh, it, could, it, could be a, it could be a regional story. But I do know this. We don't know the names of anybody in this story. So when Jesus is talking to the priest and the Levites, that lawyer, uh, that lawyer was somebody who knew the law of God, those first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. He knew all 613 laws, and he was the guy who said, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, Jesus takes him right back to the law because he wants him to know that the law doesn't save you. Doing the right things does not save you. Galatians 2.16 Know that a man is, and by the way, I want you to understand, this is the second time I'm bringing up a different passage to you that will say the same thing. And the reason I'm doing that is to get the idea of what God is trying to say. You have to take all of Scripture. This is in Galatians. Know that a man or a woman is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. The reason Jesus pointed the lawyer back to the law is because that's how God shows us we need to be the reason why I know that I'm lost and the reason why I know that I'm, I'm a sinner, the reason why I know I need Jesus is because I don't love God the way I should all the time. I don't love my neighbor the way I should all the time. I don't love my wife the way I should all the time. I don't always say the right thing. I don't always respond the right way. I, I, I just don't. Because I'm a human being, and I've got sin, and I will confess that sin. I am broke, I am busted, there's, there's, there's nothing good in me, and I acknowledge that, and I confess that. And that's really at the heart of confessing that you're a sinner. You realize that you're, we're not all that, and we need Jesus. How, how, do, how do we know that we're messed up? Because of the law. The law can't save you, but the law can tell you how messed up you are. The law tells us the boundaries that God has for our lives. He wants us to be in a relationship. If you're a man, he wants you to be in a relationship with a woman. If you're a woman, he wants you to be in a relationship with a man. That's God's boundaries. Um, he wants you to be involved in a local church. Those are God's boundaries. He wants you saved, but the only way you're saved is by the grace of God. It's not on your rules or my rules, but by His. The law was the bailiwick of the priest. The priest knew the law inside and out. But here's the thing. When, when he said, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Uh, the, the, uh, the, lawyer, the lawyer said, well, who is my neighbor? And lots of lawyers says, let's define our terms. Because here's the thing. The, the lawyer knew all about the Word of God. But the moment he went from knowing the Word of God to applying the Word of God to himself, it means that he would have had to admit that I don't love God the way I should. I don't love my neighbor the way I should. So instead of, instead of applying it to himself, he'd just rather tell other people, church, if we're wanting to know how Jesus defined what it means to love other people or what it means to, or what it looks like to love other people, we need to look no further than this parable of, of Sammy, the Samaritan. Loving people means loving all people. Now let me give you a little bit of the, the ethnic background with the Samaritan. The Samaritans would have been considered, for the lack of a better term, half-breeds by the Jews down in southern Israel. The Samaritans were up in northern Israel. And what happened was the Samaritans, when the Babylonians came in in 578 B.C., there was a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of loving going on between the Babylonians and these Israelites from up north. And they had these babies. And those babies would have been half Babylonian, pagan, half Jew, uh, chosen people of God. And what they kind of did is they, they took the, the culture of, of, of uh, they, they took the, the Babylonian culture and the Jewish culture and just kind of cross-mingled. And the Jews down south, they, they didn't look at them very highly. They were very racist towards them. They were, you know, they were, they were less thans. 
And the Samaritan was that less than. The Jews hated him. He's the one that's on this road. Sammy's the one on this road. He's probably made this trip a million times. Heck, maybe he was even mugged on this road before. He knew what kind of road this was. You know, this wasn't, this wasn't the Audubon in Germany. This was, this was 64 right by East St. Louis. He knew what it was, okay? And so Sammy goes to uh, on this road. And Sammy, Sammy helped this old boy who, if we, would have, if we would have seen these two interact, it's very possible that that guy laying us on, alongside the road, he might have been the most racist person in his village. He might have hated this old boy, given another circumstance. He might have hated the Samaritan, given another situation. But that's the way it's going. Sammy loved this guy that had probably hated him. He risked his own life for this guy who probably hated him. He spent his own money on this guy who probably hated him. Spent his time on that same guy. Uh, and he was never publicly rewarded. We don't even know this cat's name. But we know what he did. We know his actions. We know what it meant for Jesus, for the Samaritan to help somebody that was different than him. Heaven's sakes, might even hated him. The Samaritan, Sammy, he's the protagonist in our story. He's the hero in our story. And although he wasn't a student of the law, although he didn't know all the things that the lawyer knew about the Word of God, what Jesus says basically is this. Okay, the Samaritan don't know nothing about God, but he's out there living the love of God. And so when Jesus says, go and do what he did, He's literally saying, go and show the type of love that that Samaritan was showing everybody else. Sammy took out his own provisions. Uh, when he's going on that road, he sees this guy over there. I'm sure he probably pops a trunk on that brand new donkey of his. And, and out comes the, his first aid kit. Uh, and again, he's carrying the first aid kit because he's been mugged on this road maybe before. He knows somebody's been mugged on this road. He brings out his water and he, he, he brings out his wallet. And there's this guy. And I thought it was interesting. The, the, two, the two items that he brings out were oil and water. Now, guys, there are sometimes you get it. I don't have time for that. Uh, the oil and water is, is interesting. Uh, I think it it's medicine, okay? The most popular ancient world medicine was, was oil. Uh, oil was used. Uh, oil was used as a medicinal uh, as a medicinal uh, treatment. Oil was widely used in the ancient world as a medicine. One scholar wrote this. He said it's the most well documented fact that oil was one of the most common medicines of biblical times. Flavius Josephus. He was a first century uh, historian. He was a Jewish man, but he wrote for the Romans. He said when King Herod was on his last days, he would take baths in olive oil. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Uh, but 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 uh, but 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 oil was a medicine. Wine, wine was a it was an antiseptic. It was a it was a sedative, and and people would 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 have wine as a medicine. First uh, Timothy uh, chapter five verse twenty three. Have you ever went down south of the border and people tell you don't drink the water? <laughs> Timothy drank the water. Made his tum tum hurt. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Tim, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. So what had happened is Timothy probably had not uh, done any drinking of the wine because he, was, he didn't know how the people... He's, uh, Timothy is in Ephesus. He didn't know how the people would respond. He didn't know how people would react if he drank the wine. So he abstained from it. Okay, I don't know what Timothy's individual feelings would have been on, on, on drinking. I have no idea. Uh, but maybe that was part of it. And again, guys, that's, I don't know and nobody really knows. 
But we do know that Paul said, dude, take some wine for medicine. Take it for your stomach. Uh, don't, don't, pickle, don't, pickle, don't pickle that verse and say, oh, this means everybody can drink. That's really not what that means. Uh, um, but I, if you use other texts, uh, you, you can do that, but don't use this one. Timothy had, had uh, drank the skanky water, and he was in need of medicine, so Paul said, get out the vino. Um, this is an interesting thought, too. Jesus was okay with this guy giving the man medicine, oil and water. Church, do not let anybody tell you because you take medicine, somehow your faith is less than. In fact, what Jesus was saying is, use the medicine and prayer. Use the medicine and prayer. Medicine doesn't mean you're weak, it doesn't mean your faith is weak. It means you're sick. That's okay. The priest was a, was a dude of the law. The Levite was a man of sacrifice. The priest knew that law inside and out. Uh, he was the one who would take care of all the judicial things with the law. If there was a trial or you stole somebody's cow, it would have been the priest that would have, who would have helped you know what the law said. The Levite was the guy who was in charge of making sure that there was plenty of sheep and goat and oxen and bird because he's the one that sacrificed on the altar. He's the one that made sure there was wine on the table of showbread. He was the one who made sure that there was bread on the table of showbread. He was the one that made sure that there was incense on the altar of incense in the holy place. He was the one that made sure that there was oil in the lamp. The, Le the Levitical priest was the one who was really doing all the, all the, the hard work there. Um, the priest was the law. The Levite was a sacrifice. And what Jesus is basically saying it, it could be said is this. It's not the law that helps you and it's not the sacrifice that helps you. It's the one that's going to come and rescue you from your mess that will help you. So as Jesus is doing this, he's giving this story, I wonder what type of person it would have had to have been for Jesus to have been all right with the priest and the Levite leaving him alongside the road. I wonder what kind of person that person would have had to have been for Jesus not to kind of call the priest and the Levite out. Would have it, I, I, I can't imagine, I can't get my head around who would have it been that Jesus would have okayed uh, leaving alongside the road. Because obviously it has nothing to do with race. The, the Jewish man was of a different race than the Samaritan. Jesus said, well, race doesn't matter. Apparently religion doesn't matter because the Jew and the Samaritan were different religions. And Jesus took that off the table. So it doesn't matter what religion they are. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about helping them. Okay? Understand me. Please don't leave the church and say, oh, preacher said it didn't matter what religion you are. I didn't say that. I'm saying in this context, it wasn't, it wasn't important that the man was Jewish or that the man, or the man was, was, was anything like that. Jesus said, don't let somebody's race stop you from helping them. Don't let somebody's religion stop you from helping them. All right. Man, I've got like two pages left and these, these are tough. If we really can't answer the question of who would Jesus have been cool with leaving alongside the road, who are we cool with leaving alongside the road? Oh, they're gay. Oh, they're transgender. Oh, they're queer. Oh, that guy left his wife. <laughs> I'm going to help him. Oh, he's an addict. He's a meth head. Or he's a wino. Oh, I'm going to leave that person. I'm not going to help them. They voted for Trump. Or I'm not going to help that person. They voted for Biden. 
Who are we okay leaving alongside the road? They're different than us. Maybe a different color. Maybe, maybe a different background. Maybe a different religion. But, but who are we willing and uh, who are we willing to leave alongside the road? Because they're different. Oh, we're not going to help them because they're Catholic or Lutheran or they're pro-choice. Or maybe that person hurt my family or they hurt me. Then it's okay to leave them, right? It's okay to just say, hey man, best of luck to you. You see, it's not about identifying who our neighbor is. It's not about identifying who is like us. Jesus was all about saying, you know what? It's not about identifying who your neighbor is. It's about identifying who you can be a neighbor to. Who can you help? And by the way, don't let race, religion, or background stop you or dismiss somebody who's different from you who's hurting. Yo, here's my take on this whole thing. My neighbor is anyone I can help or I can be a blessing into their life. My neighbor is anyone that I can minister to in Jesus' name. Anyone. No matter their gender, no matter their race, no matter how they identify. Because let me tell you something. I identify as a child of the one true king. That's my identity. I have been crucified in Christ. I'm dead, but yet I live. Not me, but by Christ who lives within me. And here's the thing, guys. When we get on that bus, his heart beats inside of us. And those... Other people's sin might make our skin crawl, but let me tell you what, there's probably people who, make, who our sin makes their skin crawl. Okay? The heart of Christ is inside of us. The priest and the Levite lost a lot more than Sammy did by showing, by showing love and ministry to somebody. We might think helping people is expensive, but can I tell you what? It's a whole lot more expensive not to help somebody. It's a whole lot more expensive not to help somebody. The Samaritan, we don't know his name, but we know his deeds. That Samaritan's one deed has launched hundreds and hundreds of ministries for the last 2,000 years by what he did. We don't know what the priest of the Levite ministry looked like, but we know what the Samaritan ministry looked like. You ever heard of Samaritan's Purse? That dude's actions of 2,000 years ago is still, still, causing a stir, still making a difference. Don't think for one moment that your ministry to others is wasted. God sees what you do in His name. No act or, or loving service in Jesus' name is ever lost or ignored or not seen by God. He sees them all. Even if they're on a desert road and you're helping somebody who hates you or can't stand you and you don't think anyone will ever know about it, God does. He sees it. And he appreciates it. And he blesses it. The story is all about outlooks, in my opinion. How each player in the story saw the poor guy on the road. To the thieves, they saw a victim. Somebody that they could take advantage of. They had an outlook. The priest and the Levite, they saw a nuisance there in the middle of the road. Somebody to avoid. avoid. They intentionally went along the other side of the road so they wouldn't have to be in the same room or in the same section of street with him. Sammy. Sammy saw a neighbor to love. He saw a neighbor to help. And so he did it. Church, when Jesus said to the lawyer, what Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise, he's telling us today, January 1st, 2023, 
Go and keep loving people the way the Samaritan loved people. Don't look at the race. Don't look at the religion. You don't have to worry about any of that. Help where you can. Earlier, we read the first part of Galatians 2.16. I want to read the rest of it now, and I'm going to wrap it up. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ. This is the rest of the verse. So we too, we've put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified not by the law, but justified by faith in Christ. Not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Well, here's the thing. I don't observe the law so I can be saved. Church, I am saved. So I'm going to live my life within the boundaries of God. Mike, what's that look like? Two things. We make it simple. Love God and... That's exactly what you see coming out of the Samaritan story. We have God and people... uh, We love God and people not to be saved, not to earn our salvation. We love God and people because we're saved and because we're redeemed. And His heart beats with inside of us. All right. What road was the Samaritan on? He was on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Mom, Pam, if you'd want to come up and play a little bit, I'd appreciate it. He was on this road between Jericho and Jerusalem. East St. Louis type of thing. Chirac type of thing. East house, west. East gallery, west gallery type of thing. East house and west house. Bad hombres. Dangerous place to be. I got a feeling this Samaritan had to either be on his way home or on his way to work. Either way, he was, he was going to do something. He had all this junk with him on his donkey. Those were supplies that he didn't bring for every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Those were for him. The money on his wallet, in his wallet, he didn't anticipate having to, to help somebody out with a couple nights uh, at, a, at a motel, hotel, holiday inn. That was money for him. Okay, preach. Why are you telling us this? The situation wasn't perfect for the Samaritan to help out this old boy alongside the road. wasn't perfect. I don't know if this guy had money or if he was broke. I don't know. Don't know. I don't know anything about him other than he just showed somebody some love. But this is what I know. It wouldn't have been convenient. It wouldn't have been a perfect situation. What I extrapolate from this, church, is that it's not always going to be perfect or a great time for us to help somebody. We might be going through our own mess. We might be on our own desert road. And here's the amazing thing. If that old boy wouldn't have helped him on that desert road, he'd been dead. Church, I got a feeling that God will take us to a desert road to find somebody to help them. You might be on your own desert road, but that doesn't mean you can't help somebody on that road. You might be down, but that doesn't mean you can't help somebody that's down too. Oh, Brother Mike, my my life is in a mess. Welcome to the show. If you're waiting for things in your life to be perfect before you serve God, that's a lie from the devil because things will never be perfect in your life. There will never be a, a perfect time. I think oftentimes, great is the enemy of the good. Hey, you might be on your own desert road, but understand something. There's other people on that road with you. And they might need a little help. Don't wait for everything to be perfect before you start loving God and loving people. There are no perfect situations. You might be saying, well, Brother Mike, who am I? Who am I to help somebody? Who am I? You know what? We ain't nobody. But he is.
We're no one, but he is. Brother Mike, what business is it of mine if somebody gets up alongside the road or not? I don't know, but, but he cares. That's the reason he puts you out on that road. He cares. The same gospel that saved you can save them. Church, the same gospel that saved you saves everyone. Whether that person is living in no wood or whether that person is living in a trap house. It's the same Jesus that saves us all. It's the same gospel that saves them all. Now, the one down in the trap house, they may be chained to addiction. They might be chained to a bottle. They, they're wallowing in dirt. But the person in Oldwood is chained to lust and greed and pride. Now, those may be prettier chains, but make no mistake, they're still chains. And we're all in need of being set free, and we're all in need of, of knowing the love of God, and we're, we're all in need of that, no matter where you are. And church, He's sending us out. In unperfect times, in a bad world, in the tumultuous situations... He's sending us out to be salt and light, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's not get real selective and picky about who God sends us. As Celebrate Recovery kicks off this week, I want you to ask yourself, if, if some of the people that come to Celebrate Recovery, if the Holy Spirit lays upon their heart the importance of being in a congregation or a local body and they worship with you and they sit with you and they sit in your pews and they, they sit in the same sanctuary. Or maybe they're eating supper with you down in Connect Group on a Wednesday night. I got a question for you. Are you going to go out of your way and be friendly? Are you going to go out of your way and, and be Jesus? Are you going to go out of your way and Let them know they're loved. Or will you walk on the other side of the room? Will you take out a chair from your table? Will you find another seat? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to think about those hard questions. And today I pray that uh, the universe's best cardiologist would operate on our hearts. <laughs> I love y'all so much. This last week somebody was talking to us, talking to me about Celebrate Recovery and said, oh, it's just a bunch of hug -a thugs Man, it ain't about hugging a thug. It's about loving a thug. I got news for you. The biggest thug in this room is right here behind this guitar. It's you. I didn't deserve the cross, and I don't deserve grace. I deserve to bust hell wide open. That's what I deserve. But God. But God. 
I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. You know, today, if you've had a word deposited in your spirit that changes maybe the way you're thinking, maybe your outlook, maybe your approach to people, if God has downloaded something into your spirit this morning, you just lift your hand real quick and you put it right back down. Wow, okay, perfect. Anyone else? God just downloaded, thank you in the back. God's just downloaded something. Something you needed to hear. Hey, did you get something you needed? Yeah, right on. Something you needed to hear. Lord God, today, I just want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your word. Father, words that were written 2,000 years ago jump off the page at us today. Lord God, I pray that those words would seep into our heart, take root, change who we are in the name of Jesus. Father, the people that you bring to our desert roads, Father, remind us that uh, it's our job to love them like you, and it's our job to it's our job to minister to them. It's not always convenient. I want to thank you for the change of heart that you've given us, or change of mind. Lord God, you, you, you can do more in a service like this than three years of counseling can do. You can change us. And Lord, change doesn't always happy, uh, uh, change doesn't always happen immediately, but change happens. So Lord, I even thank you for that trend, that, that gradual change that you're going to do in some, in some of us, even right now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. 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 Tell you what.